the Bavada at Odds podcast. My name is Seth Everett. I'm joined by the head odds maker at Bavada, Patrick Morrow, as we break down the latest odds in all the major sports. NFL week to week as the playoffs are upon us, we'll break down the latest odds plus the futures. It's the Bavada at Odds podcast. Find it wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to episode 152 of the Underdog Sports Baseball Show with Bryce Holden. My name is Chase Midorski, and usually Bryce is the PSA guy. I am still the PSA guy. He's still the PSA guy. His are usually health and socially conscious oriented. Uh, Mine is going to be a baseball PSA because the BovadaSportsbook.com odds are that if you are an MLB TV subscriber, you do not know that your account automatically renews for the entire year tomorrow. And this is my way of saying... Fuck you, owners. If you're not going to give us baseball, we are not going to give you money. Make sure you go in and take off your auto-renew. Otherwise, you're going to be billed for an entire year. Who knows when we're going to get baseball back. I'm trying to save you money, trying to save you time. And this is one way through trickle-down economics that we could say, screw you to the owners. How'd you figure that one out? Twitter. Twitter's great for that. For me, look, to be honest, for me, it this is a non-issue because I get my MLB account as a season ticket holder for free. Um, shout out to the Yankees, I guess. That's, that is a cool perk that they give us for sure. But I know there are people who pay. I think it's $150. It was $150 a year last year. You figure with inflation and year-over-year year type of raises, we'll call it $160 this year. There's no reason to have your subscription going right now. Cancel it and go month-to-month month if need be. Yeah, you don't want to pay if there's no games. You know. That would be my easy, quick analysis on that one. Speaking of things that didn't pay... New York Knicks, man. We were just watching the Knicks Sixers game. What did the Knicks end up losing by? Like fifteen? I think it was fifteen. <laughs> yeah. They, they they were they were down five with five minutes left, and then they proceeded to score two points uh, the last five they were minutes up of the game. With seven minutes to go. They were up. This even for a Tibbs team though, the team looked gas. I mean, quickly I think played the last sixteen game minutes, which in real time is forty minutes. Well, the way the well, whatever Bovada has the Sixers to win the finals at, I want to take it because of how good the Embiid-Harden combo looks already. But they just go to the free throw line so much. So, Chase, I'm looking around, living room. How much longer does the Julius Randle poster stay up? At this point, it stays up more because it helps fill up the room. And we, because me and Andrew are two 25-year-old guys who are not the most craft-oriented. We just use... I mean, you could see it sneaking through this Back to the Future posters we record in my apartment. We just use, like, the green tack to put it on. Uh, so it's more so on our white walls. If we take the poster off, the green tack is likely to stay, which will just look even worse. Um, but, yeah, Julius has been... He's been problematic. Two he's things just, that have been problematic for me in 2022. A Major League Baseball owners and Julius Randle. Amongst other things. My years being one of them, but... Year, year is still young, Chase. Year is still young. The year is still young. They're real young. It's only February. It's almost March. It's going to be March Tuesday. It's because February goes by so fast every year. I don't know. Why don't we just even out the months? In terms of the amount of days? Yeah. 
I wish I had an answer for you. That seems like a weird oversight by whoever made the calendar. Just make, just make the year 360 days, 30, 30 days a month. 360 is a nice round number. It's divisible by 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, five 6, six eight, 8, 9, 10, 12, 15. All right, I was going to just do 1 through 10, but that's why we should go 360. 360 degrees is a full circle, circle of life, full year. Look at us. We're like astrologists all of a sudden. I have some, maybe if the lockout goes longer, I can give my whole take on how long a year should be. Speaking of circle of life, so I'm going to see uh, Elton John Wednesday with, or Does Tuesday. Does he do circle of life? No. He plays Can't You Feel the Love Tonight, and that's the only Lion King song. Although, I don't know. Did Elton sing Circle of Life on the soundtrack? No. Not him, right? You know who does a great cover of Can You Feel the Love Tonight? I don't know. Jason Derulo. I love Can't You Feel the Love Tonight because it uses a word that I don't get to use much day to day. Um, but I just think it's a good word. Vagabonds. Yeah, it does. I'm, I'm not 100% sure even what it means. It's uh, synonymous with hobos and homelessness. A vagabond is someone without a home. Like Simba. Well, he ends up having a home. But for a while... I After think his uncle kills his dad and blames it on him. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Lion King... You can give a spoiler alert after Lion King. I was going to say, if you haven't seen Lion King at this point, I don't really know what to tell you. You're either six months old or are actively avoiding it. I, I saw the live action. I was about to say, have you seen the live action? I, I saw it on Malta. Good? I mean, it's a good story. I got, and Beyonce does some good work on it. I love Gambino. Donald Glover. And um, you know who's funny? Uh, Zazu. Is it Rogan? No, it's... Um, Which one is Zazu? Is he the shaman man? He's the bird. The bird. Okay. It's... Uh, oh, John Oliver? It's John Oliver, yeah. I like John Oliver. Me too. He's good. All right. Let's... Uh, to be honest, not a lot of baseball news. Uh, we're recording on a Sunday, and I guess this will be the preface... For what we're about to talk about now, we're going to go Monday through Saturday, day by day, of what the labor updates were. Uh, there is a hard deadline for tomorrow that the owners have set, February 28th, where if there's no deal by tomorrow, they will start canceling regular season games. It'll be opening day in the first week of the regular season. Uh, so just in case, I'm not even going to say just in case. I mean, the Bavada odds of that occurring are near certain at this point. So we wanted to, just in case that happens, you know, Record next week where we could donate, dedicate a full show to the cancellation of games. Um, but before we even get into the day by day, I just want to say I usually don't judge people, but if you judge, if you're on the owner side at this point, still, I don't want to be your friend anymore. And don't tell me you're a baseball fan. Um, the owners set this arbitrary deadline to cancel games for Monday. Well, that and that's with going from the again. The owners locked out the players. This is, the players aren't striking. I know we set that distinction early on, but the owners locked out the players where they can't be in the clubhouses rehabbing training. It was not the other way around, and they waited seventy three days from December second into twenty twenty two before even negotiating. They think they're going to break the union. I don't think they will. I don't think we're getting baseball for a long time. I was the optimist on this one, and it really, like, I would go through it, but it felt like during the week we were getting close. It, it kind of ebbed and flowed. I mean, there's we're going to be throwing out a lot of random facts and negotiations and after each day kind of recap, but yeah, it seemed like for a second there, especially once more spring training games were canceled, once this, once this deadline was back in the forefront, that we were going to get closer, and then uh, yesterday it kind of seemed like a fire was lit in the, under the Players Association's ass where... They made a lot of concessions, and Major League Baseball kind of just spat on them and 
poked him in the chest and said, yeah, that's great that you made all these compromises. This is what we're going to do. And uh, they were pretty offended by it. I mean, that's what happens. The players do not have any leverage because at the end of the day, the owners don't care about baseball. There's 30 owners, there's 30 teams, and the owners on the whole, like other than the Steinbrenners, baseball is not the main source of income for any of these people. And the Steinbrenners also have the – the Steinbrenners aren't lacking for money. I'm going to read you this tweet from Colin Coward. You know we both love Colin. Daily love Colin. Colin tweeted today, whether you like baseball or not, the sport binds communities. Summer vacations are planned around games. Tens of thousands are employed by it. I often wonder how many baseball owners truly love their sport. Players, judging by concessions and negotiations, clearly want to play. Not only is that spot on, you know for Colin to – and Colin will admit, he doesn't talk about baseball. He it's not he his loves thing. October baseball. So for him to bring this up – Puts into perspective how much of a dire situation this is, uh, and ultimately just how much the owners are in the wrong, in my opinion. Well, it's just embarrassing. It's it's really embarrassing at this point. I'd say they're the one league in across sports that this happens. They're the one league that couldn't get their shit together in COVID. They are the one league that that just always has this constant back and forth. Like just, not only that, when they couldn't get their shit while they couldn't get their shit together, the NBA got all their players to buy into a bubble. And hockey deported all their players to Canada. Yeah, like these players left their families for extended periods of times. Like the Lakers won the title and they were without their families for 4 months. Like LeBron had to leave his kids like and baseball just couldn't get it together. They can't they couldn't get it together. And then it's like you wonder why ratings are. I mean, look, our ratings die. Ratings aren't. Ratings actually aren't as bad as. No, but they're not good though. I mean, this with the regional sports networks, those are dying. They're actually the regional suspect. The uh, like the highlighted the weekend, the Sunday night games on ESPN are doing fine. The playoffs are doing well. But why would you want to sit around and not just product that no? Who's going to sit through 162 games when the owners don't? Care, when you're giving money to owners that do not care about. So I agree with you. My two responses are. One, when when it comes to, you mentioned the COVID, uh, I think ultimately you and I have said this before, over the past two years, when you've seen this bickering come out in public and this side is leaking this on Twitter and that, uh, you know, John Heyman and Jim Bowden have essentially become puppets for the owners with the way they tweet. It's a matter of, it just at no point has felt like there's an adult in the room. When you looked at the NFL negotiations that got contentious, sure, stuff leaked, but J.C. Treader... Um, the owners, it felt like they kept most of it in-house. Chris Paul, when he was doing the Players Association negotiations on the behalf of the NBA, even throughout the bubble, stuff would come out, but they handled it like adults. And when they knew games were going to be on the line, they sat in a room and they figured it out. It's just, I mean, look, the owners, why would the owners cave if they're not going to lose money? Well, they're going to lose money long-term because... Well, they're just there's, no way, there's no way the game recovers from this. And the difference is, when this happened in 94 to 95, you had the Yankee dynasty and steroids McGuire Sosa to bring the sport back. As and well Bonds. As Bonds. And I'll also throw in, in 95, that was when Ripken broke the streak. And you had stuff, I mean, expansion franchises. You don't have that. There's nothing on the horizon that's going to bring the casual fan back in. If you're a casual... You know what's going to... I think it's going to end up being... This is going to be what kills the sport. They're going to need to expand. Soon. They need, they need a Vegas team and a Nashville team. Just put them in. Put the Vegas team in. Put the Nashville team in. Or if you want to do Montreal, do that route. But you need something to get people excited to... It's just so... 
naive on the behalf of the owners to think that the sport's just going to recover to this because they're they're clearly the. I mean, I know the NHL is considered the big four in America. Major League Baseball is the clear third. There is a gigantic gap between NFL one and, and two and the NBA, and there is a gigantic gap between two and three. And and Colin said it best. It's when they're not playing baseball now in April, in April, maybe into May and June, and you're just giving more eyes now for the NBA playoffs. You're just going to lose fans that are never going to come back. You're going to lose fans. You're going to have the fans that turn in for October. They're going to have the fans tune in for the playoffs because you watch playoffs because playoffs are cool. Which is great. Playoff revenue is important, but baseball more so than any other sport is so reliant on the regular season revenue because there's 160 The gay receipts drive the income for the owners. I digress. Let's start going day by day. So Monday was when the league made a counteroffer, which included small issue, small movement on issues like the bonus pool for pre-arbitration players and the draft lottery. MLB offered to raise the bonus pool to $20 million to be distributed of a group of 30 million or 30 players, a $5 million bump of its players' offer. Uh, the Players Association, that was still well short of their ask. They asked for $115 million uh, over a gap of 150 50 players, so we had a gap of $96 million there. Uh, the union uh, also sought to have the top eight picks in the draft be completed, determined by a lottery. The league offered to make the first four picks of the amateur draft determined by a lottery. Uh, and Evan Drellick reported that Major League Baseball is no longer pursuing the ability to reduce the sizes of minor league rosters. We talked about that last week, how they were actively trying to basically restrict baseball. They're not doing that. Um, and Jeff Passan added that while the league could try to shrink minor league baseball rosters unilaterally, they're not planning to do so in either of the next two years. Uh, the proposal Monday also wouldn't include a limit on the number of times that teams could option a player to the minors in a given season. Previously, the league had offered a five-year, uh, five-option-per-year cap, while the union had been seeking to set that mark at four seasons. This Monday is a great example of just the give and take. Um, it's like you have the and again, compromise needs to be reached on both sides. I will throw the players under the bus a bit there, but you, you just see it's. Even when the league or the players are willing to adjust on one thing, it's at the expense of another. And that's ultimately why I think there hasn't been very much progress here. Yeah, that's not the best way to negotiate, just sacrificing issues entirely. They should try and meet in the middle on everything. But these sides are so stuck. You never know. What do you think looking at this? I mean, the lottery I'm going to hold off on. The lottery is irrelevant. There was more extensive lottery proposals going on. Um, But in regards to this pre-arbitration pool... Uh, you know, what do you think the bonus pool should be? Like, 150 players, now that I'm reading this, that does seem like a lot. Um, I, I think $75 million, which is somewhat towards the middle, for 100 players seems fair. And it's so arbitrary, and I'm just I mean, I'd kind say, of pulling it out of my ass. Like, but. Yeah, your arbitrary numbers are as good as mine. I should be somewhere in between what the two sides want. Do you think, later in the week, the league asked for a mediator again. The players again said no. Uh, you know, at, at what point do we think, if at all, that happens? I mean, I think they're going to try. Ideally, they try and get it done without the mediator. I don't know why the players are so reluctant to a mediator. That that confuses me. Just get the, just get someone in the room. If you want to play, get someone in the room that's going to force you to get done. So that jumps to Tuesday. Um, the first big thing um, 
that the union proposed Tuesday was Super 2. Uh, the union offered relatively minor tweaks relative to his past wishes there. Uh, the union proposal called for 75% of players between two and three years of service time to be eligible of arbitration. That was down from what they originally asked for, which was 80%. Uh, the union paired the reduced ask on arbitration with a more player-friendly league minimum salary arrangement than they've sought in past years. Uh, the Players Association had been pursuing a league minimum salary of 775000 through the life of the next CBA. Uh, the union continued to seek that amount for the next season, but proposed increases in future years. Uh, USA Today, Bob's Knight, USA Today's Bob Nightingale tweeted that the proposal called for jumps in the league minimum by thirty thousand over the course of a five-year CBA. As follows: twenty twenty-two, seven hundred seventy-five grand. 805 in 2023, 835 in 2024, 865 in 2025, and 895 in 2026. Uh, Major League Baseball um, at the time countered with a flat 630,000 minimum or a staggered minimum between 615 and 725,000, depending on the amount of a player's service time. Um, and the score pointed out last month that the minimum would need to be set at 650K just to keep pace uh, with that of the 2016 to 2021 CBA after accounting for inflation. And the union, as part of its broader efforts to get players more money earlier in their careers, also sought an increase beyond that market through negotiations. And they made a minor proposal uh, in their tweak for the draft lottery. Here they asked for their first seven selections to be determined by lottery, not eight. So again, it's like seven to eight. That's not going to move the needle. Um, I'll ask you this. That means nothing to me. The two biggest issues are luxury tax and the fees, the competitive balance tax and those percentages, as well as the minimum salaries for players. Of those two, which do you think has the higher Bavada odds of uh, being settled in this next CBA? I mean, the minimum salary thing seems like that's the biggest issue. That's what we need to get done. I would say, so I'd go with that one as the favorite. It, it, it just seems like that one is one that's a more realistic compromise, too, in my mind. Um, it seems like they're a little bit less further apart, and there could be a middle number there. Uh, the luxury tax thing, it's just the small market teams, I just think, will never budge on that. And I'm surprised the big market teams aren't putting up more of a fight. Uh, it was interesting. Ken Rosenthal wrote an article yesterday basically saying that Manfred was about to achieve a self-fulfilling prophecy, where he said it would be the doomsday scenario to miss games now He's leading, basically leading the charge for it not to happen. Interestingly enough, the fact that Manfred, and again, I don't know what other labor negotiations look like in sports, but the fact that Manfred showed up for the first time Friday is, that's not, yeah, that's not good. is very good. telling in my mind of the owner's mentality. But he basically said, it's like, if you're Manfred, at what point do you really push more for compromise you know, and risk the fact that, yeah, there's more small market than big market teams and you need those votes and those owners in your corner but at a certain point, you need to just look at the overall well-being of the game of baseball. Well, I think his job is to look at the overall well-being of baseball. Isn't that what you're supposed to be doing as the commissioner? Well, you would think so. so. I don't know what the hell Manfred does. Like Sometimes he does good, and we call him out when he does. But not showing up until Friday is bizarre. It's really weird. Uh, and I also want to give some shit to the Associated Press. I, I know, and I think this, uh, this shows one? how there's certain media puppets. I don't remember the exact writer, but he... Started the headline by showing what was Scherzer driving? A Porsche. Uh, a Porsche. Max Scherzer, meanwhile, he show who showed up at every day of these negotiations on the player side, and despite the, autographs for fans, despite the fact cool. that he's making over forty million this year, he stands to lose the most money of any player on a major league roster of games or mess. But he's there fighting for the little guy, and the lead of the story was Max Scherzer showed up in his Porsche. And every baseball writer justifiably jumped on this guy and they're like, 
Well, are you not going to mention that all the owners showed up in their fucking private planes? Like, let's not make it seem like the owner or the players are the rich scumbags here. That's a, That was just really bizarre media work. I can't – that tweet was so – just like so tone deaf. Terrible. Max Scherzer can drive whatever the fuck he wants. Steve Cohen gave him – is giving him $45 million a year to pitch. If you want to drive a Porsche, drive a Porsche. Fuck it. You want to drive seven? You want a new Porsche every day of the week? You can afford it. I read a tweet today that it's only – this only happens to the Mets where they finally spend money big on a roster. They have all this excitement coming into the year. And then naturally there's a lockout where they can't even play baseball. I was – I'm still very high on the Mets if the season happens. If and when it happens. I guess it would be if, not when. Uh, so Wednesday, neither side was pleased with the other's offer, and the league doubled down on their assertion that regular season games will be canceled. Uh, there's no CBA agreed to by Monday, February 28th, the end of the month. Uh, after negotiations Wednesday, a league spokesperson told reporters again that there would be cancellations. The league said that it has no plans to make, make up possible missed games at a later date and noted that players would not have the opportunity to recoup lost game checks in that event. Uh, Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal also tweeted that Major League Baseball doesn't intend to rearrange the schedule in the event that games are scrapped. If the regular season were delayed but the agreement was eventually reached, the league would simply pick up where the current schedule dictates wherever games begin. Uh, in the meantime, the parties continued to haggle over economics. MLB responded to the union's previously offer, previous offer with a marginal raise in the minimum salary today. Previously, Major League Baseball proposing a flat 630000 minimum or a tiered minimum based on player service time that ranged from six fifteen to $725,000. Uh, they scrapped that idea and offered to bump the league-wide minimum to $640,000, uh, which would jump 10000 per season, the rest of the CBA peaking at six hundred eighty grand in 2026. lot to break down Wednesday here. Uh, first, the league minimum thing. Look, it's not what the players want, but at least here they were trying a bit. This is a step in the right direction. Six hundred forty thousand is a lot of money. Yeah, like if, that's a ton of money. That's a lot of money for a player on the league minimum. Uh, but the interesting thing to me here, and I, and this was one of the first questions I broached to you early on, and especially as a season ticket holder, is what happens with the schedule. The schedule, if is it as much of a threat though? To to me, it's more of a threat to the owners that you wouldn't cancel the games. Um, because here's a great example. Look, obviously, players want their game checked. But the Yanks, their first two weeks at home, and I know this because I have tickets, we have a four-game series with the Red Sox and three-game series with the Blue Jays. Those being two of your first three series, those are going to be huge money makers in the Bronx. The Yankees, I would think, are going to lose more money if those games aren't played than the players. And no. No? Well, it's relative. The Yankees, yeah, they'll lose more money because they make more money, but... On a, percentage, like- on a percentage basis, yes, the players will lose more. But if we're talking raw, gross dollars... The Yankees lose more. Yeah, of course, but it's again, it doesn't. It doesn't really impact their. It doesn't impact the Steinbrenner's well-being. If you are a player, this, I mean, this is their one source of income. Players aren't going to make money if they don't. So if they don't redo the schedule, I like. How do we look at? Well, I don't know. I, I think that not redoing the schedule is on the assumption that they miss. Like two, if it's the first, if if it's the first two weeks, they can recover. How do we look at a potential World Series champ though? If that's the case. If it's two weeks, who cares? All right, let's say the whole let's say the whole month of April is scrapped. Whole month of April scrapped. You have to redo the schedule. It's, I'm just looking at the. I'm just uh, looking well, that's the, what I'm pulling up. The Yankees have a four game series with the much improved Rangers. A three game well, series with the, the Astros. Rangers. I'm less concerned about Astros Rangers. The Yankees have 
a series against Boston, Toronto. No, their, their schedule, I think, is pretty even in terms of the halves. Yeah, but match. it's about their division matchups. Baseball's is the sport where winning you would definitely division. And you would definitely need to figure out the new division tiebreaker because the Yanks are losing 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 division games just in the month of April. So Yeah, that at that point, you have to rework something. I mean, even for the... Just, that's, a cushy, that's a very cushy back half of the month, though. Hopefully we get these games in by April 15th. Is it? I mean, Baltimore's bad. Detroit's going to be good. Detroit, though, there's no teams here. Like, we'll be the favorites in every game from April 15th onwards. If you get a Bieber matchup Dude, we them. remember the last time Bieber pitched against us? You and I watched the game together. Yeah, we really, like, beat the shit out of him. We rocked him. Stanton hit balls that still haven't landed. Stanton is... I saw... Did you like the tweet about Stanton I saw this week? Stanton's been incredible as a Yankee. Yeah, I love Stanton. Uh, anyone, any Yankee fan that doesn't like Stanton, I don't know what the fuck they're watching. You can't expect this guy to hit 60 home runs because nobody hits 60 home runs. Well, he was also unreal in the playoffs. He's been unbelievable. He's been the best playoff. Two years in a row. I, I, 2019, he was pretty banged up. But 2020, he hit all those home runs against Tampa. And um, he was the one guy that came to play against Boston. If it wasn't for the Green Monster, he'd have four home runs that game. Dare I say, if we hadn't given Andrew Haney starts or let Kluber rehab at the minor major league level and won, what was what did we finish behind the Red Sox? Two two games. I think it was tied, tied, and we win those games, and it's a Yankee Stadium. Look, I still think in the first round we're not going anywhere. But Boston beat Tampa. I think Boston was a better team than us all around. They were, but Tampa was beatable. Would be the point. We'll see what happens. Um, so Thursday, I guess not, we'll see what happens. We, we saw what happened. Um, but Thursday, so Thursday, the schedule, scheduling part is impacted. Uh, and Thursday focused on the draft lottery of all of the things that have been proposed so far. This to me has the highest Bavada odds of going into effect because it does seem that both sides want it. It's just a matter of how many teams are going to be involved in it. Um, but before they got to that, um, honestly, dude, this lottery debate, this probably could have been hammered out in three hours, at most. Easily. Um, the union made two minor concessions based on their previous proposals Thursday, where the Players Association had sought to give an extra year of service time to 29 players considered to be victims of service time manipulation over the last five years. The union dropped that number to 20 today. Uh, and then again, the league offered a lottery covering the first four picks. The union wanted it to cover uh, the first seven. And the proposal Thursday by the Players Association retained the seven-pick concept. However, the union altered its proposal to remove punishment for teams who had consecutive losing seasons. It had been a league concern that the system would punish teams that were just bad and not tanking. Uh, MLB trade rumors learned more specifics regarding the union's proposal for the draft lottery, which would take effect in 2023. All non-playoff teams would be in the lottery, and the odds of landing the first pick would be weighed by an inverse order. The previous season's order standing as follows, assuming a 12-team playoff, as the Players Association has proposed so far. Team 1 would have teams 1, team 2, and team 3 would all have 15%, 4, 12.5%, team 5, 10, uh, and then from there it goes 8, 6.5, 5, 3.25, 2.25, 1.5, 1.25, 1.12, 1, uh, 0.88%, 0.75, 0.625, 0.375. 18 teams in a lottery. Seems like a lot as I'm saying this out loud. Could be fun, though. 
Players Association also proposed some competitive adjustments. Um, revenue sharing payers that finish in the bottom eight and winning percentage in each of the two previous seasons or the bottom 12 in each of the three previous seasons would pick no earlier than the 10th. And any team that does not receive revenue sharing that finishes in the bottom 12 in each of the four or more previous seasons would have their pick moved to number 18. Beginning with the 2024 draft, any revenue sharing recipient finishing in the bottom eight in each of the three previous seasons would pick no earlier than 10th. And any such club in the bottom eight in each of the four or more previous seasons would have their pick move to number 18. Union also made a slight modification in its effort to grant rookie bonuses service time based on performance. Under this proposal, infielders, catchers, DH, who finish in the top five of their position in their respective leagues and more would receive a full year of service, while outfielders, starting pitchers, and relievers who finish among their league's top 15 and more would as well. That's a slight reduction from the union's previous ask, which would have granted a full year of service for infielders, catchers, DAs who finish among the top seven, and outfielders and pitchers who finish among the top 20. It's a good I, concession. It's a good concession. I, to me, I I don't like that war is being brought to the table at all for either side. I would be hesitant on that also. Just because it's an evol- – again, it's, it's not like home runs, RBIs, hits. Those are cut-and-dry statistics. Even when we do a podcast, you read articles – People alternate fan graphs and baseball reference war pretty flippantly. And if you could so casually just toss one aside, to me, that shouldn't be what's used to determine service time. Is it better than service time manipulation? Sure, because if you want to bring up a guy like Wander Franco for 90 games, but he lights it up, well, you're shit out of luck. He's still getting that full year of service time. So you might as well bring him up anyway. No, I like this. I mean, I, I, I wish there was a better metric than war, but... But, and they can stay. This seems this works out. I like this. As for the lottery, I think it's good that they have a lottery. Um, also, with the lottery, I guess I think the lottery. If you put the lottery, the draft lottery on ESPN, it would be great. I think it would rate higher than any weekday game. Hundred percent. Any I, weekday regular season. I also think it's good that they got rid of the idea where if you finished, you know, in the bottom, however many for a couple of years, uh, you wouldn't be punished. Because uh, yes, at the end of the day, there are teams. That spend money and they're just not good. I think Baltimore is a good example of that. Yeah, I think Baltimore. Um, you know who I would say is an example? I, I, the Royals. Like the Royals have never, in my mind, truly tried to tank. They're always signing solid big league veterans. They're just not a very good team right now. That's a good example. Honestly, the Mets for a while. Yeah, it's a great example. Like the Mets. There's some teams that are just between eras. The Mets aren't bad on purpose. Even the Braves pre like this this run. Well, I think they bottomed that hard. Like I think you forget how bad those Braves. But I don't think it was because they were tanking. I just think they didn't have a lot of talent. I mean, they still had Freddie. That's what I'm saying. I think there's a difference between letting homegrown guys develop, but still signing guys. Like the Braves were still in on free agents versus like the Pirate. Like the Pirates tank. They don't sign anybody. They trade all like, their. Good they guys. trade all their good guys. Like this, call it's called us the Pirate. Like the Pirates. Fucking pirates, man! You just love making fun of the pirates. It's not that I love making fun of them. It's just they're they're the problem. It's teams like the pirates that are the problem. Miami too is bad on purpose. Miami's been bad on purpose, even when they they traded all their good players away. Yeah, but that was with Samson and uh, David Samson running the team and Jeffrey Loria as owner. Well, Jeffrey Loria is gone. That's what. I'm, but they haven't traded away. I guess they yes they traded away, but even then though you got in the uh, you got a Rosarina not a Rosarina uh, Alcantara in the Ozuna trade. I mean the Yelich, the Yelich trade was brutal. Yeah, you got Sixto for Real Muto. 
Like it wasn't. I'll put it this way: those weren't like the Arenado pure salary. The Arenado, they got real players in return. Even in the Yelich trade, I mean, the guy they got, Lewis Brinson, was a top twenty prospect. He just unfortunately hasn't panned out. That's baseball, though. And Yelich wasn't Yelich. I think that's a big thing that people also that yeah that Rockies trade was pathetic. That was pathetic. You can't pay a team to take a top five player in the sport. They paid him fifteen million dollars. That was yeah. It wasn't like a five hundred thousand dollar like let me buy a second round pick in the NBA. They gave them fifty million dollars to take a fucking Hall of Famer, to the future Hall of Famer. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, let's go to Friday. Um, <laughs> Major League Baseball as part of the negotiations was pursuing a shorter shorter ramp up period for its ability to implement rule changes, and that came into effect Friday. Uh, the exact grace period the league was targeting remains unclear, but Major League Baseball evidently doesn't want to wait to have an entire year to implement rule adjustments without the union's approval. The league would need the Players Association's approval to include the broad authority to expedite rule alterations in the next CBA, though. Uh, Ken Rosenthal here, the union, responded negatively to the league's initiative. While the league could leverage a shorter grace period to more quickly pass any number of rule changes, uh, it seems that the current motivation for trying to speed up the process is to more quickly implement one provision, in particular the pitch clock. I'm going to say right here, of all of these things, this to me has the lowest Bavada odds of going past. There is no way, especially what we saw in COVID, that the union is going to give Manfred the power to unilaterally implement rules within a 60-day span. There's no way. There's no way. That's hard. I mean, I he shouldn't be able to do it unilaterally. But you see sometimes like in other sports – Mid-season rule changes are great. Like college football, they put that picket rule in right away, and that was nice. And you saw a problem, and you fixed it. It's because the difference is in other sports, they change rules based on common sense. The pitch clock thing, can't, you can't put a pitch clock in the middle. Correct. They, they do it based on common sense. The fake slide, guys can get hurt. We had never seen it before, and then it's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah we, like, sh- we should get rid of this. Yeah, you know. This Kenny Pickett, good for you. you found that a- was really cool. You found a loophole. Yeah, so we get rid of the loophole. Now we're moving from there. Uh, Major League Baseball Friday also attempted to tie the draft order to the league's desired 14-team playoff. Unsurprisingly, the league didn't view that as a favorable trade-off at all. Not surprised. Which brings us to Saturday, and this was when the shit hit the fan a bit. Uh, the sides almost came to blows, and it sounded like they there was a real chance they weren't going to meet today. Uh, and tomorrow, uh, the union's proposal was a comprehensive also offer that addressed several core economic issues Saturday. Most important, uh, importantly, was they were trying to find common ground on a new CBA, and the Players Association significantly backed off some of its noteworthy asset previous offers. This included changes to the pre- players' previous demands about the luxury tax and expansion in Super 2 eligibility and cuts to the amount of revenue-sharing funds allocated to smaller market teams. And despite these concessions, the owners still reacted badly to the latest union offer. This led to an outrage reaction from the players and a hostile tone in the second meeting. The Players Association was seeking to expand Super 2 eligibility, we said earlier, upwards of 75 to 80%. Now they cut that down to 35%, so that was a major decrease there. That's huge. Um, but again, the league has been steadfast in refusing any extension of the Super 2 structure past the 22% from the previous CBA. The league has also refused any discussion of changes to the revenue-sharing structure. The union sought a $100 million cut in revenue-sharing funds. They dropped that demand to $30 million. Yesterday's proposal dropped that number further as Teams receiving revenue sharing wouldn't lose any money but would still be incentivized to increase local revenue with the offer of extra money made available from Major League Baseball's central fund. Uh, But again, the owners are still not willing to budge whatsoever on the topic. The competitive balance tax have at least led to some back-and-forth negotiations but with very little progress. 
The players made a $2 million reduction for each of the second, third, and fourth years of luxury tax thresholds, uh, breaking down the numbers to $245 million in 2022, $250 in 2023, $257, dollars and $273 through 2026. And then the league made a $1 million increase in the second year of the CBA to his base. 215, 216, 218, 222, and 2026. Um, and in today's, like yesterday's proposal from the league, uh, they again only made slight adjustments from their previous offer in terms of tax. Um, the teams would pay a 45% tax on the overage of any dollar spent between 214 and 234 million, 62% tax for the second tier, and a 95% tax rate on the overage for anything spent below the 254 or above the $254 million mark. That's up from a 55, 50. 75 and 100% jump uh, for each of the previous thresholds, which again, the old CBA was 20, 30, 32, and 62.5%. Um, so the league's only compounded the penalty by asking that teams surpass. Uh, the teams that surpass the second and third tiers lose draft picks. The Players Association has been adamantly against the owner's luxury tax as... This is ridiculous. Viewing the demands as essentially the creation of an unofficial salary cap. Uh, there's some service time stuff here. To me, it's not even important. This to me just shows the players have the players want to play. Collins tweet said it best. The players want to play. They want to be there for the fans. They have actually tried to negotiate and have come down, and the owners are just refusing to budge. And that's why when you read that, I don't know how you could possibly take the owner side and call yourself a fan of baseball. Well, the luxury tax should be should be a moving thing. That shouldn't be a locked in. Number. It should be adjusted with revenue. It should. Just, and revenue, we're going to go over. It goes up and up and up. You do not lose. The value of these franchises consistently goes up. You, it is If you have the money to do it and you're looking for a safe place to put your money, buy a major league sports. What if they just include, like, what if both sides just compromise we're going to keep the same luxury tax percentages? Because a 95% tax on that $254 million threshold, I get that's a lot of money, but that's a salary cap at that point. Nobody is going to double their payroll to try to win a World Series in one year. Even the most aggressive owners. Nor would I expect them to. That's fucking bonkers. That's great. That's too much. That is way too much. That's a ridiculous one. And who's advocating for the, for that? It's got to be a small marketing thing. Like at some point, you have to look at the good of the sport. And as great as the Kansas City win the World Series, as great as the Tampa Bay win, well, yeah, I'll go and, and I'll go. You want the big market teams in the playoffs, and I'll go after the small market teams too. You can't have those kind of tax percentages and not agree to have a salary floor. You can't have it both ways. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. ridiculous. You need me. something. You can't. You can't. You can't prevent the big money teams from spending while you're not forced to spend at all. Yeah, I agree. You need to have. You you want in an ideal world every team is spending because every team is making money. But it's just not, I mean, like it's not the case. And Rob Manfred, um, a couple weeks ago, he said that Major League Baseball teams uh, were a bad investment. He said recently the stock market is a safer investment than owning a baseball team. That's the exact opposite of what I just said. And the Braves, fortunately, are a publicly traded team. They are owned by Liberty Media. Uh, Liberty Media released their final 2021 earnings report Friday. Uh, the Braves granted... They won the World Series. They won the World Series. They had all the playoff revenue. Uh, and they have a very loyal fan base. But this past year, they posted a... Even though their stadium is very far away from it. This past year, yeah, Cobb County, Cobb County, right? They posted a record $568 million in revenue from baseball, up $178 million from the pandemic. 
Um, and that adjusted essentially to a profit of $111 million in adjusted operating income before depreciation and amortization. I don't even know if I said that right. Amortization. Am whatever. The Braves are not a small market team, but I wouldn't say they're a big market team. I, put I don't them, understand why they're not. I put them in like the middle of the pack, and they made $111 million in profit last year. If I'm Freddie Freeman and I read that, my Bavada odds of signing with another team are skyrocketing because this is the face of the franchise who took a hometown deal the first time. They, they didn't want to pay him last year, coming off an MVP year. All he did was lead them to the World Series. I read that. I see the owners are playing hardball. I'm saying, Atlanta, this was great. Don't take it personally. Screw you. I'm taking the most money elsewhere. I'm going to go play in New York, Los Angeles, even maybe even Boston as much as him hitting doubles off the monster pains me to think about. Oh, that's scary. I, I just, I, like to me, like this is now concrete evidence. And you could say baseball teams aren't profitable. They made $111 million well, again, if, dollars any, last year. Any of these teams go for If you put any of these teams up for sale, you are making a lot more than you bought them for, BJ. You can make money. You can sell You can sell parts of the team. You There's money coming to baseball. I, Freddie should, I hope Freddie stays in Atlanta. Me too. But I, I also think if he really wants to make a statement... I don't know. Like I just I, like him. I'm all. going back to the negotiating table and say, look, you could clearly afford to pay me. So what are we doing here? Hey, well, you can pay me because you don't pay our best players anything. You pay. You don't pay me. your two all star players nothing. You pay your twenty, your young twenty year old all star, all world center fielder. He gets nothing. Dude, was it, what was been, what was Ozzy the second team all MLB second base? I want to say Ozzy makes seven million a year. Dude, I think it's five a year. I think it was seven for thirty five. Yikes. Pay Freddie Freeman. Pay him. Like, Freddie Freeman is the perfect. Like, we talk about if Aaron Judge left the Yankees, it would be catastrophic. Freddie leaving the Braves would be even worse. Because, it's because like you said, Atlanta, not a big market. If the Yankees lose Judge, they'll find money and sign someone else. Freddie Freeman is the torchbearer. It went Chipper Jones to Freddie. It's hard to get free agents to go to Atlanta. Which is bizarre to me. I don't understand why Atlanta is not a top free agent destination. So speaking of uh, revenue sharing, and that's a cross sports. Speaking of revenue sharing and teams that struggle to get free agents, let's talk about the A's. Uh, they were singled out as, in something of a unique fashion in the last CBA, as their status as a revenue sharing recipient was gradually phased out over the course of the five-year CBA. Uh, under the terms of the 2016 to 21 CBA, the Athletics' normal take of revenue sharing funds dropped to 75 percent in 2017, 50 in 2018, 25 percent in 2019, and then nothing for the CBA's final two years. Uh, in this year's negotiations. Uh, for the CBA, the league is now looking to once again reinstall the A's as a recipient of revenue sharing. Uh, this appears to be one of the few areas of common ground between the two sides as the Players Association is willing to restore the Athletics' former status. Uh, and again, under the terms of the last CBA, 48% of each team's local revenue were placed into a pool then divided equally among all 30 teams. Since some teams' local revenues are naturally much larger than others, this provided quite a windfall for small, smaller market clubs. Uh, in 2016, the A's received over $30 million. Uh, this will have a wider impact on the other 29 teams as revenue sharing teams will now be paying a slightly larger share of the revenue pot with the A's removed from the shares list. Teams receiving funds will also get a slightly lesser fund. I, on the surface, love this. Look, the A's can't be free agents in. They're trying to get a new stadium. Oakland is what it is. Let them get some money. I agree on the surface. I just love Oakland in. But it's four years almost to the day that the Players Association filed a grievance against the A's, Rays, Pirates, and Marlins about how teams were allocating the money collected via revenue sharing. 
This is my worry with revenue sharing in general. I get it. I mean, of those teams, though, Miami getting revenue sharing. Miami's a big market. That doesn't seem right to me. But Miami's Tampa, the one. Pittsburgh, Oklahoma. I said Atlanta should be it. I mean, Miami not being a free agent destination has never made any sense to me. Tampa, Pittsburgh, Oakland, whatever. I just Do you worry at all that if the A's are going to be – and again, this ultimately doesn't affect us at all, but and the amount of money is more or less going to be the same. But I just worry, does a team like the A's who are notoriously frugal, uh, do the owners just pocket the money, the Fishers? Even though they own Gap, I mean, you would you'd hope not, but it, I, I, Oakland has talent. Like Oakland should just do whatever they. Oakland should just lock up Olson and Chapman long term. That's your hope. If you let Oakland back in the revenue sharing, you want them to lock up guys like Chapman and Olson. That is precisely why you do it. Like you said, not a free agent destination. But I'm not even sure why. Why is Oakland not a free agent destination? All these cities are great. I mean, the Coliseum is brutal. Until they get a new stadium, that's not a free agent destination. I've been there. It's a literal shithole. Yeah, but it's Oakland. You know, that Silicon Valley money. Fans dying for a team. Oakland and SF and Silicon Valley, though, are very different. Yeah, but Oakland's... But if you're going to do a short list of historic MLB franchises... A's are near the top. A's A's are in that second tier, I would say. I guess we can do that on a later podcast. I go Yanks. I'd say Yanks, Dodgers, Cardinals. Yanks, Dodgers, Cardinals, Red Sox, Cubs, Giants, Tier 1. I have the Giants. like a f- Yeah, Giants are Tier 1. And then I go A's, Phillies, Braves. Yeah. A's, Phillies, Braves are probably their own tier there. Like they've been Reds. around for a while. Reds. And you know what? Based on because what they did in 60s, 70s, 80s, I'll throw the Orioles in there too. Yes, the Orioles are kind of forgotten because they're so damn bad now. But the A's are on that upper echelon. That's a if you are a lifelong the Oakland A's all time team, you can throw it up against any other club's all time team, and they'd be ju- they're just as good. I would. Say. I mean, these are later. I mean, if this lockout keeps going, we're gonna end up doing that. I have that article somewhere. I've written about this. I can pull it up at a later date. So it could be the next A's all time war team. Um, speaking of things that are forgotten, if you were to ask the casual baseball fan, um, if Oliver Perez was still in baseball. What do you think the Bavada odds were would be that a fan would say Oliver Perez was still pitching in 2021? I don't they were they'd be low. I knew he was pitching, but it's even knowing he's pitching when I show up on a box score and it's like, oh Perez, there's no way this is Ali. Oh, it is. He announced the 40-year-old will retire after playing out the 2022 season with the Toros de Tijuana of the Mexican League. Um, he began his career in April 99, signing with the Padres as an amateur free agent out of Mexico. Uh, made his debut with the Pirates, got traded there for Jason Bay, or with Jason Bay, excuse me, got traded. Um, tossed 116 in, 196 innings of a 298 ERA ball in 2004. Um, was a really good electric young starter for the Pirates. Played with the Mets for a little bit there. Mets uh, gave him a big contract. Was traded to the Mets for former Yankee Xavier Nady at the 2006 deadline, 07 to 08. I feel like this is two weeks in a row we're talking X-Men. 371 innings, 391 ERA. Uh, the Mets moved into the bullpen midway through 2010, and after spending the 2011 season as a starter in the Nats system, uh, he became a reliever full-time. He enjoyed a decade-long second act as reliever, bouncing between a handful of teams. Uh, 2020 to 2014, had an ERA under four every season while playing for the Mariners and D-backs. Uh, he played for the Astros and the Nationals, uh, and after minor league deals with the Reds and the Yankees, didn't result in big league opportunities. Looked like he might be done in 2018, but he caught on with the Indians midseason and was an inv- 
invaluable veteran for Terry Francona uh, down the stretch. Played with the Indians on a minor league deal last winter. Made the roster out of spring training, but then he got DFA'd. Started playing in the Mexican League. On uh, All told, amazingly enough, he played in 19 of the 20 big league seasons from 2002 to 2021. Suited up with eight different clubs at the big league level. Uh, and as a relief pitcher, 3-4-2 ERA over 490 relief outings. All told, 4-3-4 ERA uh, and 1,461 and two-thirds big league innings. Made $53 million over the course of his career. Uh, so all told, good career for Oliver Perez. I mean, he is a guy, even when I saw him as like a dominant ace with the Pirates or with the Mets, where he was a little bit less dominant, never would have been a guy that would have had pegged for a 20-year career. No, he's never a 20-wing, a 20, and that's crazy because he was, when I think of Ali Perez, I just think of the nightmare contract the Mets gave him. That's what I think of. But, you know, like a quality... A quality lefty. There's there's a role for him. Always. Always. Let you know how to pitch. They can stick around forever. Forever they can stick around. And Ali Perez is a perfect example. Alright, looking at other news around the league. Um, it's interesting, you know, when we think about the lockout, the thing that's really been lost in the shuffle, I think, is these guys who were injured. Uh, Lance McCullers didn't pitch in the uh, ALCS or he pitched in game four and then left after four innings with forearm tightness. Uh, he was diagnosed with a flexor strain. Uh, and McCullers said, uh, you know, the rehab has been a little bit choppy. I was hoping to be a little bit further along than I am right now, but we have unfortunate circumstances of being locked out. It's frustrating for me because ultimately I'm the one who suffers and the fans are the ones who suffer while we argue away. I mean, McCullers, McCullers all, would have been an all-star last year, ace. I mean, the ace of the Astros while Verlander was hurt. I mean, this to me puts a face to the injury recovery aspect of this. Do you think this just hasn't been talked about more because there's so many other issues with the CBA? Yeah, there's. I mean, it's and as great as McCullers is, the cash he doesn't move the needles for a casual fan. If this was a Mike Trout or an Aaron Judge we're talking about, then it would get more headlines. But I'm sorry, Lance McCullers, if you're listening, you're just you just don't. I think injuries are going to spike this year. It's going to be wild. Well, that's why I always said they need the full month of spring training, and Manfred agreed. I hope they don't short change spring training because Lee's going to be in trouble. Uh, good news if you're a Yankee fan. Uh, Paul O'Neill, the Yankees, announced will have his number retired on Sunday, August 21st against the Blue Jays. Uh, his number 21 will be retired in August and the 10s. We'll see a commemorative Paul O'Neill game day, game ticket. We will be attending as a podcast. I have not bought the tickets yet. We will. But we'll be there. I got Yankee Met tickets the next night, but what I'm not missing this. It's a Sunday. No excuses not to go. I mean, I got to be local. I could be away. We're going. Um, other I'm away, I'll come back. Twenty thirty Yankee have his number retire, uh, and he's the other Yankees from his playing days to have had their numbers retired are Jeter, Manningly, Pettit, Posada, Mo, Bernie, and Joe Torre. Uh, for those keeping track at home, from one to twenty-one, the Yankees have now retired one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight twice, nine, ten. 15, 16, 20, 21. Running out of low numbers there. Uh, Paulie had a 17 major league career, the last nine of which were in the Bronx. He won four series with the Yankees and appeared in a fifth in 2001 as a Yankee. 303 average, 304 doubles, 185 homers, 858 RBIs, 377 on base percentage, 869 OPS. Won a batting title in 94, four-time All-Star, and was affectionately referred to as the Warrior by Yankee fans for his powerful throwing arm and... Uh, Paulie overall, you know, great Yankee. In 2001, he became the thirty, the first 38-year-old in Major League history to steal 20 bases and hit 20 home runs in a season. Gary Sheffield's the only other player in baseball history to do that. I didn't realize that Gary Sheffield did that. Yeah, 07. Paulie over his nine years with the what Yanks. What team was he on? Tigers? Maybe the 
In 07? Yeah, probably the Tigers still. Paul Yober's nine years with the Yankees. First on the team in RBIs and doubles and ranked second in hits, home runs, extra base hits, and runs. I love Paul O'Neill. I love what he does for the S Network. Here's my one issue with Paul O'Neill's number being retired. If you're the Yankees, at what point do you draw the line? Um, every other okay. team has very clear standards for numbers being retired. It's usually Hall of Fame. It's usually Hall of Fame or you're like a 10-time All-Star. Uh, and interestingly enough, he's only the fourth number 21 to have their number retired in baseball, joining Roberto Clemente, Warren Spahn, and Bob Lemon. Well, I thought there were rumors that 21 was going to get retired across the league. All throughout baseball. As much as I love Paulie, I mean, this the show this week is going to be giving Paulie a shout-out because that's how much he's meant to me and Yankee fans. I mean, when he played in the World Series when his father died... So much for Paul O'Neill. He's meant so much to our generation of Yankee fans and the one prior. But if Paul O'Neill's number is retired, I'm going to just throw out a few examples of how do you not retire this guy's number. Can I do it too? Sure. We'll go back and forth. You go first. I mean, my two big ones. A-Rod. I went first. A-Rod. Retire. I mean, I would retire A-Rod's number. Yeah. But I, they already reissued The A-Rod part, I get where there's issues. But similar players to Paulie, multiple-time All-Stars who were leaders of the team. Let me see if I got this one. They played in the same era. One of these guys was the captain of the Yankees. I would have given him the retirement. I don't know who that is. 55. Matsui? Matsui's World Series MVP. Not going to be who I was going to say. You need to ret- If you're retiring Paul O'Neill's number, you got to retire Greg Nettles. Greg Nettles was Thurman, was the heart and soul of the two Yankee teams that brought the Yankees back. And if you want to talk about a guy who was a... Uh, let me look up how many years he actually played with the Yankees. Yeah. Willie Randolph was the captain of the Yankees. He with the Yankees was a four-time All-Star, won two rings. He played 13 years as a Yankee, was G- was right by Torrey's side on all those World Series teams. I love Paulie. I don't really have much of an issue with Paulie's numbers being retired. But I do think at a certain point, you have to up the I standard mean, was really, a bit. I mean, was really Randolph that good? Yeah. I, I, he, I, I, yeah, I never watched Billy Randolph play. Dude, 275 average, 375. 275 average. average is not a very good He's average. He's second baseman, though. I don't like the Willie Randolph thing. The Pauly one's fine because he has four rings. Yeah, Willie had two, and if he had what he had as a coach, he had six. Was he Was he the coach for all four of those? I believe. Check the Wikipedias. Yeah, I mean, if that would be more of a lifetime achievement one. And yeah, he yeah, was. Yeah, 94 to 04. So I don't know. That's my two things. All that said, you could see the emotion of um, Paulie's face. I'm really happy for him. I can't wait for Paul O'Neill Day. I mean, he's the warrior. Only guy who has a baseball reference page that mentions what foot he kicks the ball with after he kicked the ball in from right field with the uh, Cincinnati Reds. Is his number retired in Cincinnati? No. But I think he's more of a Yankee than a Red. Well, dude's a winner. He's a winner. He's a warrior. He was the ultimate gamer. There was never a water cooler that was safe with Paulie if he got pissed. And he's part of I mean, he's part of the Yankee family because he does do the work for Yes. So this is a pretty easy... Yeah, look, and he, he was just as big a part of a team as, as the core four. I mean, it's... I get it. I was a little surprised, but I'm happy for him. And they also hadn't reissued 21 since Paulie. Is he to the Yankees what Keith Hernandez is to the Mets? I think he's a little bit lower than Keith. Only because... Because he's buried by a bunch of other guys. Yeah. I mean, you saw. I mean, he was the best. He either... Over his span with the Yankees, he was either first or second in hits, home runs, extra base hits, runs, RBIs, doubles. Every... Uh, the, the, the detractors on the Paul O'Neill retirement would say, of every name you listed, he is... He's last. He ranks below all these guys. I maybe put him... For when he played above Jorge. Jorge, full Yankee body of work is higher. 
But don't forget, Jorge wasn't the full everyday catcher until like 98-99. I guess what I'm trying to say is I think Paulie meant more to those Yankee teams than Jorge did because he had Mike Stanley and Girardi through 98. Yeah, but Jorge put in another 10 years after. No, I agree. I'm just saying during Paulie's playing career. Shout out to the Warrior. We're so ecstatic for you. We're happy for Paul. Number 21 getting retired. Can't wait to post about it on Instagram tomorrow. A couple things to wrap up and then we'll do some lists. Um, Shout out to Tommy White. NC State freshman first baseman. He belted a home run in each of a Saturday, each end of a Saturday doubleheader against Quinnipiac yesterday, giving him nine home runs in his first eight collegiate games. Uh, all told, eight homers, 29 RBIs, 1.412 slugging. NC State uh, is undefeated, and he was ranked the hundredth number 107 prospect in MLB Pipeline's 2021 draft rankings. Uh, in his debut, he was 5-for-6 with three homers and a 24-to-6 win versus Evansville. NC State, as I said, undefeated. If you're looking for some baseball to watch... Yeah, this guy. Dude, watch college baseball in general. College baseball's fun. They use aluminum bats. It's fucking terrifying. The aluminum bats scare the shit out of me. Dude, I went to... I think I've said this on the podcast before. I went to a UCLA-USC game at Dodger Stadium. And we instinctively were like, oh, we'll get like seats right behind the dugout. Dude, they didn't have the nets up. Oh, yeah. I said, fuck this. We are going up to the second tier. I love UCLA. I love Dodger Stadium. I am not dying for a college baseball game. But it's so much fun to watch. Well, the aluminum bats, the balls go, Woo. They fly. And they sound better. They do sound better. College baseball is just fun. It's like, I hate to say it. And, oh, speaking of college when baseball. When you take any corporate nonsense out, and it's, it's just the game stripped to its gameness. Did you see the Liberty jersey reveal this week? Epic. Yeah. College what song was it to again? Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's all coming back to me now. It's all coming back to me now. Yeah. Celine, I think. Celine Dion. It was beautiful. It's Justin Timberlake's favorite. Liberty, liberty, liberty. We are big liberty people. I mean, as far as I think Jerry Falwell's a terrible human being. But I don't know who that is. He's Look up Jerry Falwell while I keep talking. Who? Just say. He start, founded the Liberty oh, University. He's that guy? He's like the guy in the oh, he, 80s where it's like anything that you associate bad with Reagan with like AIDS, the homosexual community, evangelical Christianity. That's all Jerry Fowler. Well, I don't associate AIDS with Reagan because he refused to mention it. Because of the Jerry Fowler's of the world. Well, we like the Liberty commercials. Yes, we like Liberty. Let's make this. We'll make a very clear declaration here. We support Liberty Insurance. Yep. The University, the Flames, could do without them. Like the baseball team jerseys, and I and we've talked about the irony of the Liberty Flames being named such with the founder, such as Jerry Fowler, and their quarterback is going to be a first round pick, Malik. All right, couple odds and ends here. Uh, what do you make of Marcus Stroman calling, basically calling Billy Epler the Mets GM hire uh, racist and saying that he's beyond thankful to have left the Mets, saying he had endless death threats, being called the N word often, hearing Black Lives Don't Matter, and playing for a front office who didn't care about any of that. Well, that's really tough. That, that's a bad look for the Mets. And just, I mean, is that happening? I don't know. Stroman is just such an overly polarizing player. I mean, that's like, I mean, I'll take his, what he I'll said take his word. Value. And this is terrible. I do think this is sour grapes on some level. Because he started free agency saying, oh, I can't wait to be back with the Mets. I hope to return. And then they just gave Scherzer the money. I mean, I thought he would have liked to stay with the Mets. It's close to home. But if they're actually getting, if he's getting racist chance still in baseball... It's a like, systematic problem. Like that needs to be squashed. That needs to be squashed across the board. There needs to be like a much clearer zero tolerance policy issued by the stadiums if you're using like there's like taunting players is fun. 
Like if you taunt a player, just do it tastefully. Like when you, I mean, I still remember you and I were at a Yankees game and we just screamed Ken Giles for three hours. Ken Giles, like that was fun, and he and was he, loving it. And he's just punching himself in the face because he's Ken Giles. He was like, that's that's good fun, but you never use like one of the big principles of ST with B. That sensitivity training with Bryce is never use slurs. There's never a good time. It's to just use like slurs. a good life lesson. It's just so easy not to use slurs. All right, let's do some tweets. Then we got some lists. This is from Dan Zimborski. This goes with what we were saying for Arnato. Uh, the head of the owner's negotiating team gave $50 million away so that his team wouldn't have Nolan Arnato. Yeah, I was at – I mean, again, if this baseball lockout does get lifted, I'm going to go to an Of course, feels great. I'm going to go to an early season. Have you been? Yeah. I'm going to go to an it's early season. It's my infamous – the T-shirt gun was shot right at me, and I went – smack the T-shirt 10 rows deep. <sighs> Clouds parted and everything. Um – there's only one batter in MLB history with more homers than walks with minimum 2,000 plate appearances, and it's a favorite of ours, Salvador Perez. We love Salvador Perez. Josh Tomlin on the other side, minimum 200 innings pitch. He's the only pitcher in MLB history with more homers allowed than walks. I don't know if that's good or bad. I would need to see his walk totals. Yeah, I need to see like more concrete numbers. <laughs> because like Verlander won the Cy Young, and he was near the lead league, league leaders in home runs allowed in 2019. Because he just had no damage on the base paths. Well, if you only give up the if you give up solo two home runs, solo, two solo homers. I don't think Josh Tomlin's doing that though. I don't think uh, this so. is from MLB Metrics, twenty nineteen Astros, one of your favorites. Just to put into perspective how good this team was, they're the only team in MLB history to have seven players with an OPS of eight seventy five, uh, and one of two teams in MLB history to have two pitchers with three hundred strikeouts. I mean, Verlander and Cole were on. I thought they should have split the Cy Young that year. Best one two punch I've seen this side of Schilling and Randy Johnson. There was that one year. The only other thing I could throw would be the 2015 peak Kershaw, peak Granke year. Or even the 2015, like, Lester Hendricks area at a trio. Well, that's not a one-two punch. That's a one-two-three punch. Sure. Yeah, I think they finished second and third in 2015 to Arietta. Yeah, but I mean, Granke Kershaw, had a sub-1 Gran- ERA. Yeah. Kershaw had 300 strikeouts. Uh, this is from Jim Passan, Eddie Rosario, reigning NLCS MVP, World Series champion. Um, in his career, he has 418 hits, 25 steals, and 221 runs scored in home games and road games. That's just a fun baseball fact. Fun baseball fact, indeed. All right, first thing we're going to do, best birthdays by war. Hmm. August 31st. Not my birthday. Is the leader with 516.8 war. Um, Frank Robinson and Eddie Plank are the headliners there. I thought they were going to give more people, to be honest with you. Did you not read the article? No. I just kind of looked at the headline. Frank Robbins is ahead with 107.2. Number two being November 26th at 514.4 is interesting because Chuck Finley is the leader with 57.9. So this is a Chuck Finley, wannabe over quality. Chuck here. Finley, Hugh Duffy, Lefty Grove, Bob Johnson, Bob Elliott, and Fred Tenney all have 43.8. Or more. I guess I'm just going to go through this. Three, September 19th, 490.5, Joe Morgan and Duke Snyder. Um, April 2nd, has Luke Appling, Don Sutton, and Hugh Jennings, three Hall of Famers. That's kind of where I'm looking I think that's Hughie. Hughie, that's true. June 15th is number five. They got Wade Boggs, Billy Williams, and Andy Pettit. That's my favorite trio so far. And Dusty. And Dusty. January 5th is six, 475.5. They have no Hall of Famers. That is very impressive. That is seven is sick. Seven, 458.6. Ed Delahanty and Bill Terry. That's our new favorite day. 
October 30th. April, no more Halloween for us. April 4th, 454.9 more. Trish Speaker, Joe Hodges lead the way. Uh, July 27th, A-Rod and Scherzer share a birthday. It's a good birthday. Um, this is the best one for my money, though. Uh, November 21st, Musual and Griffey. Uh, and you have Hank Blaylock. When's Pujol's birthday? I have to work him in somehow. Pujol's birthday is on... January 16th, so he's officially 42 years old. You think he gets a job? Maybe. Um, next thing I want to do, I've been sitting on this list, is every team's most surprising record holder. Uh, so we're not going to go through a ton of them. This one's weird. But this one's weird. The Padres franchise home run leader at 163 is Nate Colbert. Uh, that's more surprising to me because, A, I don't know who Nate Colbert is. B, they had Dave Winfield and Tony Gwynn. Uh, and C, 163 for a career leader is just low. You won't have that for long. So I'm happy we got this list in now. The Brewers franchise win leader with 117 is Jim Sladen, and he has a losing record. That kind of checks out. This is amazing. So we talked about 2005 White Sox last week. They won the World Series. And Freddie Garcia and Jose Contreras shared the White Sox single-season wild pitch record that year with 20. It's a lot of wild pitches. A lot of wild pitches. Uh, Mark Gruzdalonic holds the Nats single-season record for singles and doubles in two separate years. And did it as an expo. Jason Jennings and Ubaldo share the Rockies' career shutouts record with three apiece. That's that checks low. out. That's low, though. Um, the Marlins leader in wins, starts, innings, pitch, strikeouts, and K-to-walk ratio is Ricky Nolasco. You remember Ricky Nolasco? Didn't the Twins give him a big contract? Maybe. I remember him and Josh Johnson as a duo. Josh Johnson was so good. Uh, Ricky Henderson holds the A's single-season caught stealing record with 42. That's a lot. I mean, that makes sense if you're stealing that often. All right, I'm looking to see some good obscure names here. 52 doubles, that's a good one. Burt Campernis holds the Rangers single-season sack bunts record with 40 in 1977. That is a lot of sack bunts. Yeah, it is. Um, Let's just go to the Yankee ones. Highest career batting average for the Royals, 306, Jose Offerman. What is George Brett, though? Oh, Brett was 305. Okay. Did Brett, how did Brett only end up at 305? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me either. The Yankees, this will be our last one because then I got one more thing. The Yanks' most career sack bunts, Wally Pipp, 226. Well, got all those in before Garrick took his job. I mean, I hopefully he can have something. It's good that he has something else to his name. All right, last thing for this week. I'm going to turn it away from you so you can enjoy some live reaction a bit right, more. I need to this is from Danny Vietti. How to trigger an MLB team's fan base in one phrase. Okay. Dodgers, 2020 World Series. <laughs> yeah, if you start saying that's a Mickey Mouse World Series. Giants, Posey is not a first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't know if he is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, I don't think that's going to trigger that. Padres, anything positive about Eric Hosmer. That's <laughs> so brutal. But true, he, that's a tough look for him. D-backs, Max Scherzer trade. <laughs> Wasn't a great trade. He still got Ian Kennedy, though. Wasn't that that trade? No. no. That was the DD. Austin Jackson one. Rockies, Coors Effect. I mean, that's a, that shouldn't trigger them. I mean, I, can anything trigger? Just say they are not, I think. Yeah. Mets, Cole greater than DeGrom. Yep. He's not, but so that would bother him. Nationals, 2025 Yankees left fielder Juan Soto. We're not going to pay him, so don't worry. If there's baseball by then. Ba- Braves, 12th best regular season team. Who cares? They won. They don't care about that. They got the Marlins, Yelich, Rio Mudo, Stanton. Yep. And Azuna, even though Phillies, and I feel very strongly about this one. Bryce Harper's overrated. He's not. 
Cardinals, Posey is better. Eh. I don't think that's a trigger. I think that's like a very... Yeah, it's whatever. I mean, what... I think Posey... How would you even make the case for Yachty at this point? Gold gloves, more all-stars. Longevity would be the only argument. Yeah, he doesn't have as many rings, no MVP. Brewers, airplane hanger. I don't get that one. Yeah, I don't get that one either. Cubs, Cardinals fans are the best in the league. I guess Bartman doesn't trigger them anymore because they won. Should still trigger them. Pirates, Bob Nutting. Yep, funny name, terrible owner. Reds, Pete Rose shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. He should be, but that, I don't think that triggers Reds fans. Angels, Trout, zero playoff wins, one of your favorites. I would, I, If I'm voting Hall of Fame, I don't vote Trout right now. A, small market team. They are a small market team. Mariners, longest active playoff drought in North American sports. Fair. It's a fair point. Uh, Astros, trash can. That's your bottom. Rangers, David Freeze. <laughs> it should be Nelson Cruz, because Nelson Cruz cost him the World Series. AL Central, Tigers is rebuild. Uh, Guardians, 3-1 lead. Royals, Salvi's OPS. Who cares about his OPS? He had 48 home runs. Twins, 18 consecutive playoff games. That's a tough one. I'll, I'll vibe with that. That's, you get, no, how do you come back? White Sox is Monty Grandal's batting average. I don't think they give a shit. His on-base percentage was 420 this year. He had 245 as a catcher. 420 on base. Those balance out. Yep. Gets on base. All right. AL East. Rays relocate. <laughs> they should. Blue Jays. Shohei unanimous MVP. Uh, that's not a trigger one. I think it was... Vlad Vlad had a great year, but what Otani did was... Historic. Red Sox. 27 rings. I think that's irrelevant because they've so owned us in the 21st century. That would Red Sox... In my lifetime, well, I guess it depends. Orioles, this might be the biggest trigger here. Zach Brennan never saw the field. That one, that game was on MLB Network this weekend. I know that I was watching and Strom was watching. It's a good game. Yankees, uh, last but not least, how many were you alive for? It doesn't really trigger me. It's I true. was alive for four. I mean, I was alive for all of them, but like, yeah, I'm the first one to admit I remember two. I remember one. And that's fine. Still got him though. I remember four Red Sox ones. We still got him, and that's actually. I don't remember the 07. I was in France. It's all right. You were off in a strange foreign land where they eat snails. Uh, that's all I got for this week's podcast. Any thoughts on your end? Uh, we'll have an update next week as to whether or not the season's going to start on time. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be March. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned for that. Any other updates? Yeah, mask mandates are going away, but still be safe because the virus isn't gone. Um, I'm not sure where we're gonna when we're gonna be doing this next week. Where I'll be when I'm doing this next week, but um, I would assume it'll be after my stepbrother Robert gets married. So, an early congratulations to Robert and Erica. I'll give a congratulations to them as well, uh, and I will end with uh, two recommendations in entertainment because I don't have much sports to talk about. Recommendation one: movie recommendation. Studio six sixty six. The Foo Fighters made a horror comedy movie, and the whole cast is the Foo Fighters, Jeff Garland, Whitney Cummings, and Lionel Richie. If that doesn't sell it, I don't know what to tell you. Good sales job, Chase. Uh, What's it on? It's in theaters, but I have to think it'll be out in streaming too soon. Uh, number two, if you're looking to go to a concert venue, go to Town Hall. Uh, it's on 43rd between 6th and 7th. You've probably walked by and you have no idea. Good 1,500-person venue. Seems like a high school auditorium. Saw a concert there Tuesday. Really enjoyed it. Dylan played there. Uh, but make sure to eat before. They don't have any food. On that concert note, I'm going to see Chris Lane at the Fillmore in Philadelphia next Sunday. You you said you've been before? I have not been, but I know of it. Great venue. You What... Why do you know it's a great venue? Because the dead play there all the time. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. 
and and they just get good acts. That's usually a sign of a good venue. I'll also do one last musical shout out, and then we'll wrap this up. Uh, Brian Fallon, who I'm seeing again this Saturday in Red Bank, New Jersey. Uh, he was the guy I saw at Town Hall and did not play one Gaslight Anthem song. I was a little upset. You live and learn. Brian, you're playing in Red Bank, New Jersey this Saturday. It's your home. We're all from the Garden State. Just give me one Gaslight song. Send me home a happy man. Rooting for you. I appreciate it. With Bryce Holden, my name's Jason Midorski. This is the Underdog Sports Baseball Show. Have a great week.